Welcome to another edition of First Word from First Church. This is Pastor Dave Buchanan at the First Church in Sutton. Please enjoy the message and may God bless you richly through it. Hello, this is Pastor Dave Buchanan speaking. I was absent this last week on vacation to do some things with family. In fact, it was my 50th high school reunion. So I welcome you to listen to a message by my friend and brother, Pastor Steve Masarski of Barnabas Ministries. Please enjoy the message by my friend. Today's scripture lesson comes from the book of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were fit washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out the deep water into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But, because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners on the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, He fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. God, please bless our hearing and understanding of God's holy word. Oh, hi. My name is Simon, the fisherman. Um, Pretty good fisherman, I would say. But not tonight. I'm going to tell you about what happened uh, the, uh, the other night. And, and so you see here, we're at the, at the Lake Gennesaret. You might remember it as the Sea of Galilee. Well, uh, me and my companions, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, and my brother Andrew had been fishing all night. It, we had, we had we'd spent the whole night and found nothing. There was nothing there for us. We came home with empty nets, a lot of seaweed, but no fish. So we were there one morning, just exhausted, ready to go home. And and so we had the job of finishing by cleaning all of our nets, taking all the grass and seed and all kinds of other things that were in it. And we're sitting there with our two boats there on the the shore. But along the shore was also this, this... itinerant preacher, this traveling rabbi, and he had a group of people around him. 
And so we, we didn't really pay attention to what they were saying. We were busy with our, our nets. And, and so the crowd began to, to, to follow him. And I just, you know, looked and they were pushing him closer and closer to the edge of the water. And then, as a, as just quickly, he jumped into my boat. My boat? He was jumping into my boat. Hey! I said, what are you doing? And before I could get those words out, he said, put your boat out into the, out into the water. So, okay, all right, I'll do it. And so I pushed the boat out into the water, and he turned my boat into a pulpit. He sat there and continued to preach to the people while I was standing there, watching him, listening to his words. And I thought, okay, you know, it'll get over, I hope. He's a short-winded preacher. And then he finished. And I thought, okay, we're done. I can go home now. But no, no. He had to say to, uh, to me, he said, hey, put out into the deep. Put your nets down. And I was like, who are you? I'm the captain of this ship. You know? Well, and he just stared at me after he made that command. It was an eerie silence, as if he expected me to obey him. So I did. I said to Andrew, come on, let's go. And we pushed the sail. We, we rode the sail about further out into the water and we let down the nets. And we said, good luck because we've been out here all night and we have not found a thing. But if you say so, Lord, Master, Master, we're going to do that. And so we threw the nets into the water. And it was something that I've never seen before. I've been a fisherman all my life. My father was a fisherman. His father was a fisherman. His father before was a fisherman. We had never, I had never heard a fishing story. Even the big ones, you know how they go. How big was the fish you caught? We had never seen such a thing. I, as the nets began to spread out, there began to be these little fish in it. It was as if the water began to boil. Little fish were being eaten by bigger fish, and those fish were getting eaten by bigger fish, and they began to fill the net, and the boat began to rock, and the rope that began to creak, and, and I began to throw fish back into the boat, and my hands were full, and I saw James and John just looking at me, and I'm like, come on, dude, get on! Get over here! And they got in their boat and they pushed it out there. And I said, you need help? Come on. And they, we began to fill the boat with the fish. And our boats began to sink. The water was up to the gunnels. I think that's what you call them, right? You guys call them gunnels. Right up to the edges. And we were like, whoa, this is crazy. And we were all astonished. We were amazed at this. And all I could do was fall down into the pile of fish on my knees before the Lord. And I said, Lord, go away from me. I'm, I'm not worthy. Go away from me. I'm a sinful man. I don't deserve this. And he said to me, Simon, Simon Peter, you ain't seen nothing yet. Because you are going to not only catch fish, you're going to catch men and women and children for my kingdom. 
So we all looked at each other. We began to bring the catch right into the, into the shore. And we pushed it out to the shore. And I looked into the eyes of James and John. And we knew what we had to do. That was the day we left everything to follow him anywhere. And he is my Lord. A little bit about what I do. Um, I'm not just a preacher filling in. Um, I pastored churches for 32 years. Um, but one of the things I do um, in New England, I love New England. I grew up here. I pastored churches in New England. Is I put pastors together in groups, small groups. And, and your pastor has been part of a, a group, a small group of three to five pastors that come together. They share their hearts with one another and, and they tell their stories, their fishing stories in ministry or in life and all of those things. And we pray with one another. The whole point is, is that we have this authentic spiritual relational unity because there's a prayer that Jesus prayed in John chapter 17 that prayed for unity. That the body of Christ is not just one church, but there's a church that crosses the whole world. And there are churches here in this region of the, uh, of the world, of, of, in New England, here in southern, where are we, central Massachusetts, that uh, God is praying would work together. And the first line is with the pastors. So I travel throughout New England. I was in Maine uh, this, this uh, past week, and we uh, can't get anywhere without driving about an hour through the woods, you know, to get to see one pastor. But it was, it was great to see that happen. And everywhere I have been going, I want to share with you what, what, what I see God doing in New England. Because a lot of you, you know, have friends in the South, and they go, oh, you live in New England? We used to call them the frozen chosen. <laughs> but I tell you, God is, awe, is thawing and awing us by his presence. There is a movement within New England, I believe, that's beginning here of discipleship. And that's what I want to talk about today discipleship. It's a word that we throw around, you know, and, and, and I think most, honest, I'm honest, okay, most pastors don't know what that means. So we're going to talk about that, and if you get some stuff here that you can share with Pastor Dave, <laughs> and say, hey, discipleship. Uh, I, all right, I'll tell my, one of my stories right off the bat. I was a 19-year-old, you know, I, I became a, a strong believer. I, I was, came to the Lord in my wonderful little congregational church in Norwich, Connecticut. Woo-hoo! All right? And uh, I found Jesus in the middle of a Jesus revolution. Hello? Right there in the 1970s. Fell away from the Lord, came back in the midst of one of the craziest liberal uh, colleges in the East Coast, and Jesus found me there. 
And so I decided to a call to ministry, went to seminary, was getting involved in a church, another congregational church in um, Danvers, in a little village called Salem. In fact, this church was famous in 1692 for having executed 19 of its members. You know that as the... Yeah. I was the youth pastor of the Salem Witch Trial Church. Hello. Wow. That was wild. But I still felt that I needed help. I needed someone who would, who would show, me, show me how to follow. And so I found this older gentleman. Maybe he was 50. I thought he was ancient. <laughs> Not that I'm 60 something. Um, you know, 50 is like, yeah. But I looked up to him. I knew he had a real walk with God. So we went up to him. His name was Ferp. Ferp Hutchinson. Okay, here's another little history. Here, take notes. This is the history people. There was a woman named uh, Anne Hutchinson. Anybody? Google it, right? Okay. Google it later. And not now, but later. Anne Hutchinson. He was a descendant. So there was history all around me. The Salem witch trials and Anne Hutchinson's descendant is in our church. But he's a strong believer in Jesus. So I went up to this older gentleman as a 20, as a 21 year old and said to me, said to him, will you disciple me? Will you disciple me? I need someone who is going to show me what he knows and how he has been following Jesus and demonstrate to me what it means to him to follow Jesus. And you know what he said to me? He says, I don't know how. He goes, I do not know how. Wow. There's a command that Jesus gave to his disciples. The last command, and if you're in the military, you know whatever the last command is, the one that you obey. You know, forget the others. This is the last command. And Jesus took his disciples up onto a hill overlooking the Sea of Galilee where all of his ministry had happened for two and a half, three, three and a half years. And he said to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And lo, I will be with you forever. It's not a, a side command, you know, if you want to as the church, you know, do this thing called discipleship. No, he calls us to discipleship. And so simply, I need to get to my point, right, is uh, the main idea is that the last command of Jesus is to make disciples everywhere with everyone. And the essence of that is two words, follow me. The essence of discipleship is follow me. And if you're mathematical, I would say the sum is discipleship. The two addends are follow plus me. 
And so let's talk about, let's look at those two simple words through our passage this morning. Me. Let's start with me. Who is me? Jesus is speaking. He says to Peter, Andrew, John, all of the disciples, Matthew, the tax collector, he says to them, follow me. Simple command. And he's saying, follow me. Me. I'm Jesus speaking. I'm not a movement. Don't follow a movement. Don't follow a philosophy, a denomination, a political party, a point of view. Even a preacher, teacher that you find on TV, the the allegiance is to Jesus. He is the one. Our focus of our discipleship is upon following Jesus. There may be people who say they are disciples of Jesus, but they're not following him. They're following their own agenda all over the world. And we, we have to convince people that we're following Jesus, not some movement or thought pattern that's out there. We're here to follow Jesus. And me also means that it's a relationship. Following a person means you know them. You've met them. You've spent time with them. You've listened to them. You've watched them demonstrate their life. And you have watched it and you began to imitate what their life is like. But it starts with a relationship. I don't know how many people are in social media, you know, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. And so yesterday, a couple days ago, I was like, you know, there's a button on all of those. Do you know what that button says? Follow. You can push that button. And I, I, you know, my kids are all into that stuff, right? And I think I have a, do I have a Twitter account? I think. No, I don't. Um, One of those, I have Instagram. That's right, Instagram. They put stuff on Instagram. So I go on there and I find that there's there's 57 people following me. Where are they and who are they? You know? Uh, So then I Google, I says, who is is followed the most in the world, right? You ever heard of a man named Cristiano Ronaldo? Anybody? Anybody play soccer? Okay, I heard of me. Soccer. He is a Portuguese, uh, this world-class Portuguese soccer player. He has almost 600 million, is that right? Yeah, 600 million followers. 600 million following him. What does that mean? Not much. And so when we say, follow me, it means more than hitting the little button. Jesus, I'm following you. It's the person of Jesus. And, 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 and so you have to understand who he is. Who is the very ground of being of Jesus? You see, in, in this passage, you saw Peter, right? And when he first encountered Jesus, he called him master. It's a word that only Luke uses. And, and it's kind of only, it's only in the, in, the, in the lips of the disciples. But it kind of basically means sir or boss or, you know, the boss, you know. So basically Peter was saying, boss, I've been fishing out here all night and I haven't found anything. But you're the boss. We're going to do what you said to do. We're going to do that. Well, it's interesting 
Because later on, when he falls before Jesus in that pile of fish in his boat, he says, he does use a different word. He uses the word Lord. You see, it changed from being boss, just, okay, you're in charge, to you are Lord of the universe. It was a change. So he, he began to know that because of what he had just seen, who this person is. And that's our, jo- our job as followers of Jesus to learn and know and get deeper in understanding who he is and what he means to us and who we are before him. I love the Nicene Creed. It says, And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, only begotten, that is the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. That's who Jesus is. You're not just following some dude. You're following the God of the universe. Through him, all things were made. And through him, by him, all things are held together, Paul says in Colossians. Man, this isn't just like, I'm going to follow him, I'm going to follow him, I'm Instagram, Twitter, bah, 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 bah. No, this is it. Follow me. Follow me. And the, also the amazing thing is, I, I grew up in the congregational church, never heard the gospel for 14 years as a child, as a young person. I was told Jesus is a good idea. He's your friend. He's not really here. He, he died on a cross, and that showed the love that he had for us, and so we should share that love with others, and, and, and so we should follow him, you know, in terms of just being, you know, um, good people, basically, and use Jesus as an example. That was the idea. But it hadn't, didn't have to do with a personal relationship with him. Because if we really, you know, if I was a smart aleck, you know, kid, I would say, okay, let me see, what does Jesus do? Oh, he's healing somebody. Okay, let's go heal somebody. Oh, he's casting a demon. Now let's go heal. Oh, he's going to multiply food. Let's go multiply food. Because if you follow Jesus, you need to be doing the things that Jesus did. And that would have blown the mind of my congregational church. But they had this Unitarian idea that there was a moralistic idea of Jesus. And that's who he was. He was a moral teacher. And you kind of follow him. Well, there was more to him. He was God. You're following this powerful God that says, follow me. Do the things that I do. What? Yeah, he's a real reality that we can know, we can have a relationship with, and he is in us, and he is with us. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and I will give you another. When Jesus leaves, he brings a replacement, another advocate to help you and be with you. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I, Jesus says, will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore. But you will see me as my followers because because his Holy Spirit will be in you. Because I live, you also live. And on that day, you will realize that I am in the Father and you are in me and I am in you. Jesus is in you. 
He's a real reality, a person that we can have a relationship with and whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father and I too will love them and show myself to them. So that's me. What does it mean to follow? It means more than imitating Jesus as a good example. It means to be a learner. Disciple is a learner. So you remember there were people on the shore. They were learners. They were sitting there listening to Jesus and they were crowds were gathering around Jesus. And so he got into the boat and began to continue to, to, to listen to them like we are here today. If I was sitting on a boat and we were all the God listening and we are learning and we're taking notes or we're absorbing it into our hearts and lives and minds, we are learners. We're sitting and listening to the word of God. And Luke uses that word, the essence of the gospel was there. It wasn't a current event. It wasn't a social trend message. It wasn't about the newest psychological insight. It was the gospel that he was given me. And that's the beginning of being a disciple, being here, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what he would say by his Holy Spirit to us. But as they were pushing Jesus to the, he went and said, Peter, I'm going into your boat. So discipleship is not just listening and learning, but it means letting Jesus into your boat. Jesus wants to be in your stuff. He doesn't want to just be this little teacher. You go check in with him and, you know, put your time in and maybe get a credit card or, you know, a report card on, on learning about Jesus. No, he wants to get in your boat. He wants to get in your car. He wants to get in your job. He wants to get in your house. He wants to be in your stuff. Discipleship means letting him into your boat, whatever your boat is today. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone opens the door, invites me in, I will be with him and he with me, and we will have fellowship and a meal together. Let him into your boat. But then he didn't let just him in the boat. He told them to go out a little deeper. Go out into the deeper part of, of the water. And so discipleship is meaning going deeper with Jesus. So you may have been on the shore listening, or you may have let him into your boat, but you haven't gone deeper with Jesus. And what does that mean? Well, you know, let's get more theological, you know. Let's learn about uh, Calvinism and Arminianism and get our heads all full of these theological ideas. And now I'm a deep, you know, that preacher, he's not very deep. You know. No, I think deep means getting busy for Jesus. It means taking the stuff you know. We as Americans know more about Jesus than probably most Christians in Africa. They have the faith, but they don't have the knowledge. We have the knowledge, but we don't have the faith. That's how Africans look at us. They go, wow, 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 I wish we had theological degrees, but... We have masses of people we've got to minister to. But I'm just, this is the message I've got. And I just preached this one. But I wish I could have a theological degree. 
No, deeper for us means that we need to become witnesses of Jesus. I did a uh, survey once for my doctorate, and I asked the people in my church, says, how would you describe your Christian life? Active, growing, struggling, stagnant? And I remember a couple people put stagnant. But there was, a, there was a correspondence with stagnant and people who were not sharing their faith. They were not engaging their faith. They weren't inviting people to church. They weren't praying for their neighbors. They weren't inviting people to their home and, and sharing and asking them about their spiritual walk or where they are with God in relationship to God. They weren't doing the things that, that, uh, that are getting, you know, dropping the nets. That's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about, dropping the nets and, and bringing in a harvest. They weren't activating their gospel witness. And so they were stagnant. I saw that as a correspondence. If you want to go deeper, you have to say, Lord, every day, use me. Give me divine appointments wherever I go. Give me an awareness. Give me a sensitivity to your ear and eyes to see the needs of people around me and show me how I can love them in Jesus' name. The other day, we were sitting in a, in a, in a, um, a restaurant and this woman, I watched her, she was like doing laps. I was like, dude, I wonder if she has a cell phone because I want to know how many steps she does in a day. She was just bom, 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 you know, and then, hey, coffee, Whoa, okay, coffee, boom, there it is. You know, it was, wow. And so we were getting done, we got the check and everything else, and now we're with a pastor, so I'm going to pray with him because I always ask a pastor, how can I pray for you? Pastors need that. Maybe that would be a gift to your pastor to go up to him one day. Yeah, let's do it. Say, Pastor Dave, you pray for us all the time. How can I pray for you? I think he would fall over. There would be a hole in the floor. Amen? So I asked this pastor in front of me, and, and then she had just showed up, the, the waitress, the server, sorry, I said the wrong words. Um, and I said, we're just about ready to pray. What can we pray for you? And she goes, my legs. I'm on them all day. This is my job. I have another job on standing on my legs and they are in pain right now. I'm like, oh. So we stopped and we prayed for her. You can do that. You can do that. Do it in your own subtle way and, and say, well, okay, I'll, you know, Thank you. For, you know, maybe you're not comfortable praying with them, laying hands on them, anointing them with oil, whatever. But you just say, okay, we're going we're gonna to pray for you right now. What was your name again? Jessie. That's her name. You know how I remember her name? Because I prayed for her. I prayed for her. We got a guy in our church who's been sitting on the outside. His wife has been a member of our church for probably 70 years. I think her mother was pregnant with her when first she came to our church. And her husband comes twice a year to church. Christmas and? Yeah, you got it. We had something happen in our church and we needed someone who would just quickly come and do something very physical, paint over. Somebody had graffiti painted on our church. And yes, you can Google it and find out what was graffiti in our church in Marblehead, Massachusetts. 
He was the first one on the site, and he got his pail. He was a carpenter, painter guy, and he painted over it, got it covered, boom, done. You know what? He was in church the next Sunday, and then the next Sunday his wife was sick. He was in church that Sunday. She was sick again. He was there in church that Sunday. He's no longer stagnant. He's going deeper with Jesus through his hands. Ah, there's so much here. Obeying. Discipling means obeying. It says in Matthew 28, to teach them all I have commanded. Right? Right? Wrong. Teach them to obey what I've commanded. So many times in America, we know what he's commanded, but we're not obeying what he's commanding. Let's move on. Being fruitful, John 15 says, abide in me and you will have fruit. Abide in me, you have much fruit. Abide in me and you will have fruit that will last. Being a disciple means being fruitful, seeing your life being changed and transformed, the character of Jesus being formed inside of you and people noticing. And then you remembered Peter on his knees, repenting. There was a Congregationalist, uh, sorry, this thing's dropping to my head, who was a famous preacher in the 1800s, middle 1850s, um, that preached that, um, that Christianity can be, it was called nurture Christianity. We don't need crises in our lives. We don't need to repent. If we are born in the church, we get baptized as babies, and we just go to Sunday school, we go to youth group, and then we become adults, and we begin to serve in the church. There's no reason why we need to have a crisis in our life. I don't know about you. I have a crisis every day. And I need to come to, the, come to Jesus on my knees, if not physically, emotionally, and say, Jesus, I am not worthy. Go away. And yet the message, even this morning, when I did that this morning, the Lord said, sing to me, ye saints. You know what the word saint is? Holy ones. And praise my holy name. He's asking us to come to him to be cleansed, to be purified, to be made new in His image that we might worship Him. Holy people worshiping a holy God. And that means repenting, turning around. Being astonished. I I don't have time to talk about being astonished. But that means looking for Jesus happening every day. The thing, there was a radio Bible class, uh, a radio show, and it it was teaching this thing called the God Hunt. And, and they said, this is what you can do with your family. You know, when you tell your family, okay, today we're on a, an adventure. We're going to see God show up around us. And, and so we want you to keep sensitive to that. And then when we have dinner, we're going to share. Where did you see Jesus show up in your life? Being astonished is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And of course, it means fishing for people. It doesn't mean you have to preach on the, on the corner here, standing in the middle of the green and, and you know, bullhorns or handing stuff into people's windows as they're running by. You're just sticking in their window, a gospel track or, or, or something like that. It just means being open, asking questions of people around us, inviting them to things. Inviting them to your home, 
You know, Jesus did ministry, not in, mostly in a church. He did it in homes. He went in. That's where people were comfortable. Their walls come down. And then you can ask them, ask them questions about their life. Where do they come from? Where are they going? What's the purpose of their life? You can do that. It's called evangelism. It's called letting down your nets. But it's simple. Just have a couple questions. And when you meet somebody, or, you know, and you just, how are you? And they say, good, how are you? Fine, are you? So what does fine mean to you? How, how is your life fine today? Ah, not so fine. Oh, tell me more. And you're letting down your nets. And team up is the last thing that we need to do. We need to team up. You can't do it by yourself. Jesus never sent anyone out by himself except for one. His name was Judas. So, encourage you to find somebody else. Be that Ferb Hutchinson who knows how to disciple and to go and say, hey, can we have coffee? Tell me your story. How, how did you come to this church? Where do you live? Where did you go to school? What kind of a family did you grow up in? Tell your story. Hey, I, I was just re- reading in the Bible today in Psalm 30. You know, let's, let's look at that together. What do you think it says here? Take come five, ten minutes with somebody. So how can I pray for you today? That's what I do. I teach pastors how to disciple one another. And I hope that as I do that, they go back to their church and teach their people. So that's why I'm kind of short-circuiting that for Dave today. I'd love for him to come back and go, what's going on? Why are people like teaming up and, and talking to each other and asking questions and praying with one another? Because that's what discipleship is. Following Jesus. Follow me. Action items today. So, number one, let him into your boat. If you haven't let him into your boat, if you're just sitting on shore, it's time to let him in your boat. Okay? That means turning away from sin, turning away from your selfness, and following him. And it follows through the cross of Jesus. He died for you. He loves you. He wants to receive you, you to receive forgiveness. Come to him and say, Lord Jesus, come in to my boat. Be my Lord, not my chief, my boss, but my Lord, my precious Lord. I know you died on the cross for me. Come and live with me and in me. Maybe you haven't been there. You're already there and you need to go deeper. Ask God how, how to Obey him every day. Be a witness for him. Number three, team up. Find somebody. Maybe God's already given you somebody a thought right now during this time together that you would say, Do you know what? I, you know, I'm going to go reach out. And maybe nothing happens. But maybe we build a friendship around Jesus. The end of Gospel of John, because I don't think it was a single call for Peter. After the resurrection, Peter decides to go fishing. Come on, let's go. James and John jumped in the boat. A couple non-fishers go went to the church, went there, and they got in the boat, and they were out there. And there was a guy on the shore, and he was yelling at him, and he said, "Throw the net on the other side." Okay, 
They hadn't caught anything yet. And guess what? The same thing happened. The water began to boil. The nets began to creak. And John, the apostle John, goes, I think that's Jesus. And Peter wrapped his clothes around him, tied him tight, dove into the water and swam to shore. Didn't even pull the boat in. And the last words of the Gospel of John are what? Peter, you follow me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are a God who loves us. And you are so patient with us. You desire us to follow Jesus. Show us what that means today. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us the ability. We can't do it on our own. It's just impossible. We need your Holy Spirit to come and make you real to us. So Holy Spirit, come. Help us do business with you. To let you into the boat. To go deeper with you. To team us up with others who are following you. And help us follow you. In Jesus' name, all God's people said. Thank you for having joined us for First Word from First Church. We pray that God has blessed you in some way, in his way, through the message that we have just shared with you. Please join us again. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen and amen.